ninth episode of the Young Turps podcast from the Viner Forgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's episode, we're talking about Maryland's 40-14 to embarrassment in West Lafayette against Purdue. And of course, all of your Terrapin news on the Non-Rev Report. But before we get into all that, this podcast is brought to you by, as always, Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need, whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival. Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you are looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV today, contact Allied at 301-986-0067 or visit them on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown on this very depressed Young Turps podcast. Well, on the non-member report today, we have some good news at least. Men's soccer played Michigan State to a 1-1 draw Friday at East Lansing. The number 25, although that may change later today with the new poll, number 25 ranked Terps are hosting number 12 Georgetown tonight at Ludwig Field at 7. It's Sasha Sprowski's birthday. It's a huge local game, and you can catch it on FS1 tonight. Yeah, and the Michigan State game actually was not played in full. The game was suspended later um just called a draw after weather conditions uh, prevented the field from being playable in East Lansing. As a good note, thank you, Mason. Uh, on field hockey, uh, the field hockey team took down number six Iowa three nothing at home on Friday, and also blanked Indiana six nothing for their tenth straight win this season. The team is now thirteen and one. The Terps have now not allowed a goal in three straight matches, and they will travel to number 11 Michigan Friday night for what I hope will be another resume-building win for the team. Yeah, uh, starting to push that number one spot with all these really highly um, ranked teams that they're beating. Women's soccer has sadly fallen off a bit since we last spoke. The Lady Terps have now been blanked twice in a row with road losses to both Nebraska and Iowa by a combined score of 6 to nothing. The team will get a chance to right the ship at home against Indiana Thursday at 6. Uh, if you noticed a theme all around uh, the non-rev and rev world that Maryland is facing Indiana every day from Tuesday to Saturday leading up to that 3.30 game on Saturday in a different sport. Maryland beat uh, Indiana in field hockey. They play Indiana in volleyball on Wednesday, women's soccer on Thursday, a huge men's soccer game on Friday night leading into the football game on Saturday. So the Terps are having a beat Indiana week. Uh, I guess so. Uh, speaking of which, the Terps almost beat number 8 Penn State on the road last week in volleyball. They fell just short, 2-3 to three sets. Really could have been a great win, but Maryland rebounded nicely, beating Rutgers 3-1. to one. Uh, As you said, Indiana's next with a home matchup on Wednesday. Volleyball also announced last week that they will take their first ever trip abroad, going to the Netherlands, Croatia, Slovenia, and Italy. That's really cool. That's great that you're doing that. Yeah, it is. Um... Quick note on that Penn State game. It was, uh, there was a quote from after the game from the volleyball coach that said he doesn't really believe in anything other than winning in terms of making progress, but he did say it was good for his team to have that kind of feeling in a big environment like Penn State is to be in that last competitive set and really just have that opportunity to fight against a good team. But obviously not what you want to see them not winning that game, falling to 9-8 and eight on the season and then coming up with that win against Rutgers that puts them about 10-8 and eight on the year. Um, other n- Terp news, uh, Maryland threw midnight, the Midnight Mile last weekend. Uh, I didn't get a chance to go, obviously. I don't think Mason did either. But um, it looked like a 
lot of fun. The players got to borrow the students, had a little dance-off going on. It looked like a really good experience, and I hope Maryland keeps doing this in the future, because I think it's more effective than Midnight Madness in terms of actually doing something for the basketball programs. Yeah, I don't know really about that. I don't really think either of them are very effective. This one just looks like a lot more fun than Midnight Madness was, especially on the last couple of years. Five players who spent multiple seasons with the Terps won the WNBA title with the Washington Mystics. A special shout-out to the three who were career Terps, Christy Tolliver, Tiana Hawkins, and Shatori Walker-Kimbrough. And D.C. is trying to turn into a city of champions, I guess, recently. Yeah, of course, the Caps won, Mystics won, and it looks like a really great series. I didn't watch any of it personally, I will admit that. Uh, Nationals are pushing for a World Series bid. We're not going to talk about the Redskins, though. Yeah, no, we do not need to talk about the Redskins, but the Nationals are almost there. They're getting there. They are almost there. Um, I feel like most of our people who listen are Orioles fans. Hey, so uh, am I. I, I cannot you, stand I the you. Nationals. I know you can't, but hey... It's, it's good for the area as a whole, I'd say. Uh, so, Maryland football, we have some news before we get to our uh, main subject. Uh, two start times announced, and both are not noon start times. This is a miracle, Mason. Yeah, um, it is. Maryland will kick off this Saturday against Indiana, as almost all of you probably know. At 3.30, that game will be featured on the Big Ten Network, and then the Terps will be back in the national picture in Minneapolis, Jordan, I believe you'll be there. That kick will be at 3.30 on ESPN or ESPN2. Minnesota will be an undefeated team playing against Maryland. Ranked, I'm going to say around like 17 or 16 next week after they obliterate Rutgers like every other team this week. Oh, I thought they were in a bye week when you said they were going to be undefeated. But, yeah, uh, Minnesota looks really good, honestly. In my opinion, they have really earned their ranking this season. How can you say that, Jordan? They beat every team by like one score. They beat, well, they beat Purdue by seven points, which is more than we can say. And they beat Nebraska, but I think by, what, 27? 27? Yeah, 34 to 7. Nebraska had a complete meltdown against Minnesota. I'm liking, I'm liking Maryland. I'm just going to say, if Josh Jackson's playing, Maryland's played pretty well against Minnesota in the P.J. Fleck era. I'm liking Maryland for the upset there. I cannot believe I'm saying that after what I just witnessed on Saturday. I think you were high on hope on that one. But Uh, I'm just putting it out there. If Maryland gets a little bit more healthy, I don't really think Minnesota's that good. I think, honestly, here's what I think is going to happen to them. They're going to get obliterated by Wisconsin, obliterated by Penn State. They're going to lose to Maryland. And at the end of the year, they're either going to be 9-3, and because I don't know what their other game is, or 8-4, and and it's just going to be an absolute... They still have to play Iowa. Yeah, they're they're going 8-4. and I disagree. I mean, well, Iowa looks terrible, too. Maryland and Iowa could have a, um, a we have no idea what we're doing on offense party together. All right, um, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but one more piece of news. Six Maryland alums are known to be in the XFL draft pool that was announced uh, last week. They are Nick Novak, Tavon Jacobs, Lieberman Jacobs, Derek Hayward, if you remember Derek Hayward, he was a tight end for the Terps for, I believe, four years he played. Michael Dunn, the offensive tackle, Damian Prince, Savon Walker, and Trey Watson are all in the pool. Um, these Those last four, from Dunn to Watson, are expected to play for the XFL's DC Defenders as like a, ho- as a home kind of thing. Um, but I don't know if you've seen anything about the XFL draft 
Mason, but it's going to be really interesting. Have you seen how it's going to work? Works, but Jordan, I'll let you uh, read off the Cliff Notes version. All right, so it's going to be conducted in phases. So it's a snake draft, which if you know how fantasy football is played, you know how this works, but if you don't... So the person who picks first in the first round picks last in the second round, and they keep reversing, so everybody has about the same amount of talent in the end. And it works in phases. So the first phase is going to be offensive skill positions. So every team gets a quarterback assigned to them. And then in the skill positions phase, which is 10 rounds, you pick running backs, receivers, tight ends, and other quarterbacks. Phase two, which is also 10 rounds, every phase is 10 rounds, is going to be offensive linemen. Phase three is front seven players. Phase four is D-backs. And then phase five, which is every other round, so 30 rounds, is any position. So it works so that you don't have prioritized positions necessarily. You can kind of... It's designed to make everybody as equal as possible without totally making it uninteresting. It's a cool structure. We'll see how it actually works. Every team is going to have 71 players to start the preseason. Now, some Maryland players I honestly think are missing from this are... Like a Joe Villano, AJ Francis, Brandon Ross. Uh, I thought it would be really interesting to see um, Andre Monroe if he hopped back into football, or you know, just some of the guys that we've seen in like the Alliance or in the NFL recently. None of those guys are really on this list. It's mostly, I guess, for lack of a better word, the lower tier other than Nick Novak. I guess, but this. It's only players that want to play, obviously. We'll see how this actually works. Um, the D.C. defenders will be coached by Pep Hamilton, which I think is a little interesting note. Um, I'm, in, I'm excited to see. I'm happy D.C. has a team. Maybe this one will be, will be good. Yeah, maybe. Um, we'll do our pro, our NFL pro terps in our next episode because Monday Night Football is tonight. Let's go ahead and talk about Maryland's 40-14 to loss to Purdue. But before we do that, make sure to follow us on Twitter at YoungTurk1. Uh, we have updates there every time we have a new episode. And usually, some funny things that happen during the games when days like Saturday happened. Yes, so I'll go first. I'm a, I'll let Mason really get after it today. Because I have a shorter little thing in here. Um, this was horrible. I really thought we were going to turn it around after the first quarter. We never did. I apologized to everybody because I kept saying Piggy was going to be the quarterback, and apparently he's not. He had one exciting run, but that's about it. I don't know why Mac was effectively benched. And, well, he's injured. Well, injured, I guess. Yeah. Um, that might have taken a whenever sales a little bit. And Dr. Demas was pretty good, 100 Yards. That's my one bright spot. All right, Mason, go after it. Wow. What a complete and utter failure of the purpose that Mike Loxley speaks about. Let me let me just start off with this. You walk into Gossett and you go into the um, the auditorium where they hold the press conferences. On the left, right off of the camera, if you watch on a. Uh, our Wayne Turp YouTube page, all of the Loxley press conferences post-game. There's an acronym on the wall, Jordan. And it spells out Terps. And I believe this is a rough, like, explanation because I don't really look at it that much because it's usually kind of half-covered. It says Terps, and the T is for toughness, 
The E is for... I don't, I don't really remember what the E is for. The R, I know, is for readiness. The P is for preparedness. And I believe the S is for strength. So let's focus, right. on, let's focus on the preparedness and readiness of this team. The coaching staff needs to go back and look at this film and then look at those two words that they have plastered everywhere and say, did we do this? And the answer is no. Almost all the adjustments that you prepare for, there were just none in the game. Where is the, where is the um, communication? How do you end up with Dante Banks and Levante Gator in the game? When you know they're in there. Because Kenny Bennett, I believe, did not make the trip. Marcus Lewis was out for the game, and Tino Ellis went down. They're your top three corners. You go back and look at all of our things preseason, everything that we did. We talked with Dave Monaco. We talked with, I believe, Scott Green. Everybody pointed at that cornerback position and said, if somebody gets hurt, especially Tino Ellis or Lewis, this team is in a hole. Because you ended up with Dante Banks being picked on the whole game. The guy that uh, in our National Signing Day talk with Dave Lamonico, we were talking about how I liked what I saw on film from him. And Dave said, uh, we don't really know if this guy belongs on a Big Ten team. Levante Gator, on the other hand, really does. But these are true freshmen. And there was no adjustment from the defensive staff. The safeties, I mean, they had Jordan Mosley out there running around like he's blind because it's kind of starting to seem like he is, the defensive back coaching from Maryland, probably since the Randy Etzel era and on, has been awful. These guys, they don't turn their head to look back at the ball. They get burned by the quick slant. How can we not find a defensive coach that knows how to stop a slant route? Ridiculous. That's where I'll start. Ridiculous. Uh, that was a, a heck of a start there. Um, Purdue nets 420 yards through the air. This Purdue team, I think it's hard not to emphasize, had lost four straight games before this. They had lost each of those games up to Minnesota, sorry, three straight games, by more than 20 points. They had lost to Nevada, who is, I think, three and four in the Mountain West. And that's when they were fully healthy. That's when they were healthy. They were way down there, by the way. Um, They lost to TCU by 21 points, who's in the lower two of the Big 12, I don't understand how you lose to a team. Like oh, they this. did not lose, though. They did not Purdue, lose. Hold on. Purdue had, Maryland had more healthy quarterbacks in the roster with Josh Jackson hurt than Purdue had healthy receivers, and they torched us for 400-plus yards. Yeah. And let's not say they just lost. They were obliterated in this game. I focused on, in the pregame that I did, Purdue is over 100 in both the categories of total offense and defense. They have a freshman quarterback playing. And they threw the ball 428 yards on us. That hurts my soul as a Maryland fan. This game, not only should they win it, not only are they probably not going to get to a bowl because they did not win it, but they embarrassed themselves. Piggy, for all the people, and Jordan, this includes you, that said he was the starter. Please note, for all future times, and this time now, that apparently Mike Loxley and Scotty Montgomery will not adjust their offense to a guy that strength is running the football. He ran the ball for 61 yards. 
on a fake handoff play that they should have brought out against Temple, and maybe they still would have been 4-2 right now. Where's the designed run? Instead of putting in the design run, they put in these terribly angled swing passes in this game. It was pathetic. It was embarrassing that we have a coaching staff that won't adjust the offense to the quarterback that's playing in it. This is not Josh Jackson. This is not Tyler DeSue. This is a different guy. I know that Lance, Tyler DeSue, and Josh Jackson can all throw some of those routes, but Piggy, as much as he trains and works on his craft, that's just not his strength to throw those quick slants on time in the place because the other quarterback they have, Josh Jackson, misses those passes half the time. This time, it just happened to go right through the hands of Daryl Jones and be intercepted. The other route that he threw that was the pick six, I don't know what he was seeing. He looked at it, he doubled, he did the same thing that Kirk Cousins did that took the Redskins out of the playoffs, thinking about things that make me mad. He looked at the route, stared it down, went to throw it, decided they didn't want to throw it, never looked the other way, and then threw the ball there. Just an absolute collapse. But even if the score is 40-14, to 14, you can point to the interception that Maryland threw for a touchdown, the drop touchdown by Anthony McFarland, and the called back touchdown. I believe Dante Demas called it early in the game. And there's your win. Three plays, game changes. Maybe even give me two of those. Give me those two offensive touchdowns, and I think that Maryland wins that game. Just to point out the positives, because I know I'm being very negative right now. Well, at some point they deserve it, and this is one of those. This is one of those games. And I think what's really frustrating for me is we know that Piggy can be successful in Big Ten play. We saw it last year against Ohio State where we scored 51 points with him as the quarterback. We know against Indiana last year where we would have won if he didn't fumble. Like, we know he can do this. But he does fumble. Hold on. I know that he can do this, but you can point to that with Maryland so many times. You can think about, like, okay, Jason Jones reels that ball and Maryland beats Ohio State. Piggy doesn't drop the ball against Indiana. Maryland wins. With Piggy, that seems to be the case, though. It really does. In this game, if the ball doesn't go right through the hands of Daryl Jones and into the uh, Purdue defender, Maryland probably has a much better chance of competing or coming back a little bit in this game and not getting blown off the face of the earth. There are just... Sadly, it seems like with Piggy, the ball just bounces the wrong way when he's playing quarterback for Maryland. And you can go back in time, I believe he started against Minnesota, and Maryland got blown off the face of the earth by Minnesota uh, when Perry Hills was a starter, and everybody was calling for Piggy. It's like the second coming of that. Everybody wanted to see what Piggy can do, and they put him out there with all the opportunity in the world to be the starter of this football team, and it just falls apart for him. It doesn't need to be a case with him, but the point remains. If you design it to his strengths, you limit the passing, you make it run-focused. We have the running backs for this. Still, even with Ant-Mac out, we have the running backs for this, because Piggy effectively is a very good running back when you let him run. The fact that Sky Montgomery and Mike Loxley won't adjust the system to the players playing in it is a failure of coaching at the most basic level. You see this at every level. In high school, if your quarterback can't throw the ball 20 yards down the field, which will happen in high school then you change the playbook. In the NFL, if you have Patrick Mahomes playing, you expand the playbook. If you have Eli Manning playing, you shorten it. Well, what's the name of that guy thing. that the Steelers just won with that I've never heard of in my life? Kevin Hodges or something like that. I didn't know. I didn't watch the game last night, actually. But they won with him because they changed what they were doing. This is a basic thing, and it is 
there's, it's unexcused, completely inexcusable if you don't change what you're doing to fit the personnel. It's the same thing what you're talking about for defensive backs. If you have two freshmen, you need to play more zone. They can't compete yet. They're not old enough. They haven't worked long enough. And if you can't change that as a coach, then maybe you shouldn't be the coach. And I'm not saying fire Mike Loxley or anything like that, but that is a basic, basic thing that needs now, to be implemented. on the defensive side of the ball, I think that's okay. enough from the offense. The offense just complete... Absolute, and because it's a podcast, I'm going to say this, an absolute shit show of a game. Now let's talk about the defense, which was worse than that. Why? Somebody tell me. Please tweet us if you know why Isaiah Davis is playing instead of Chance Campbell. Who did this? It's almost like, who hurt you? Who made me a Maryland fan that has to watch Isaiah Davis on defense instead of Chance Campbell? What coaching decision is that? Like, I know that Isaiah Davis, a lot like Jermaine Carter, and I do not know what the NFL did to Jermaine Carter to make him a serviceable linebacker in that system. But these guys are slow. They can't play zone. Allende Ely and Chance Campbell, on the other hand, have kind of shown the ability to be a little bit better than that. Especially Chance Campbell and Isaiah Davis. Isaiah Davis is too slow to be playing middle linebacker in this league, especially with the scheme that we're playing. Now, I guess six weeks in on the bigger picture, it's starting to show that neither the Gaddies really play, Cam Spence doesn't play football anymore, and Austin Fontaine's starting for us at guard. They don't have the D linemen for this league. They're they're like a team from the Stone Age, and they are handed an iPhone. They don't know what to do with it. They have no players. They just don't... I don't even know what to say on defense. A lack of scheme, a lack of talent, a lack of depth, and just a lack of overall wherewithal of football IQ. It is... I don't think we touched on this. I wanted to hit this before we kind of move on a little bit. Um, The fact that we are in week seven of the season, and you have DBs out there who don't know where to line up. Do you notice that, Mason? Oh, it's happening on both sides of the ball. Yes, I didn't notice that. And the penalties. How are you oh not know on special teams where to line up in week seven? I know they make they actually do make special teams adjustments every week. I know that for a fact. But what? How? How are we getting delay of games? I believe it was on a field goal attempt, wasn't it? I think maybe. I don't remember that specifically. I kind of blacked out after the second quarter. I'm pretty sure that was in the second quarter, but yes, I get what you're saying. This is one of the few times as a Maryland fan. I saw that Georgia-South Carolina score, and I changed the channel. There were like seven minutes left in the Maryland game or something. I was just done. I could not watch it. It ruined my whole day. I could not believe a 1-4 in team with more injuries, like a Sean Petty Maryland-level year of injuries. They have walk-ons starting on their line, and we can't sack the quarterback. We can't put pressure on them constantly. That's our whole game plan. We cannot execute it. We can't run the ball straight at a team that has so many injuries to their best defensive linemen, and we cannot run the ball. Just hurts my soul as a Maryland fan. It made me think I thought this program was going in the right direction. Even after that Penn State game, I think I was stupid enough to think it was going in the right direction because, you know what, they went out and they beat 
the pants off of Rutgers, and they're going to beat the pants off of Purdue, and we're going to get the ball back rolling, and we're going to be a 4-2 and two team with an opportunity against an Indiana team that's about on our level. We're probably a little bit more talented than them. And all we need to do in both of these games against Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue, was to get the ball to our playmakers on the edge. It's literally the same thing that I say about the FCS team here that has like 12 full scholarships. If you get the ball to your playmakers on the edge with blockers in front of them, or you don't, you just stick everybody on the other side of the field like they did on that piggy play and run your quarterback around the edge or give the ball to Anthony McFarland around the edge just like they could have done against Temple, even if you aren't better than them up front, you can out-scheme them. You can give your best players, which we have. We have a guy that was considered for the Maxwell, is on the Maxwell preseason award watch list, Anthony McFarlane, or Javon Leake, who is on some other watch. You know, you got all these watch list running backs and stuff. Put them in a wide receiver and throw a screen to them. That wheel route, even though that Anthony McFarlane dropped the ball, was a play that I've been looking for all season. Those swing passes, they just ran them wrong. That's the kind of play that you need. You need to get your guy, your best player, the guy that with the number 5 jersey on, the guy with the number 20 jersey on, and I guess you're going to even put Dante Demas in that category now. Give them one-on-one matchups. Give them those plays that the, the jet sweep gave Maryland last year that left them compete against Ohio State, where it's our guy, our best player, against their defensive backs on the edges, and it's between them and the end zone, or them, and maybe a safety will catch them. Put yourself in position to win the game. Look at what you're doing with this RPO crap and say that's not working today. Let's pull out game plan B. Let's pull out the stuff that we didn't want to pull out in this game, but we know that we need to win if we want to go to a bowl. We know this game is crucial to our morale as a team, our morale as a fan base, the backing that we're getting from our fan base. All that's at stake in this game. We need to get to 4-2. and two. We need to beat a team that we should beat on paper. Let's pull out the stops. Let's make the plays. Let's figure it out. We don't need to be stuck on this. As a coaching staff, we need to know that Piggy is playing today, not Josh Jackson, not Tyler DeSue, even though they could have put him in, but the guy that strength is running the ball. Let's get the ball to our playmakers. Let's give Piggy some straight quarterback run plays or some triple option or something just to move the ball out to the edge and get our guys that we know can beat the other team and open space those opportunities. But no, we can't do that. And that's why we lose. Because of a lack of adjustment, a lack of coaching, a lack of preparedness, readiness, and just overall wherewithal to make those changes or any changes that we could have made during the game. Because we had injuries and we did not adjust. And overall, we're just not a better team than them. Whether it's coaching or on the field, on Saturday, we were terrible. We were awful. And you know what? A lot of times you say burn the tape from that game. I want them to sit down and watch this and look at what they did wrong. Not even the players, but the coaches. You end up with two freshmen out there, and you can't cover a slant. Do something. Even if it doesn't work, please look like you're changing what you're doing. But I spend my time. Wayne spends his money. We've spent so much time watching Maryland football that at this point, it pains me in year whatever I am, in year like 18, that I'm still watching the same stuff that I saw when I first went to the games. Actually, you know what? It didn't happen when I first went to the games because that year we were 8-4 and four and we beat Purdue in the damn champ sports bowl. I've seen this now with Randy Etzel, with DJ Durkin, and now with Michael Oxley. 
just an absolute abomination of football adjustments. Can we find a coach? Doesn't even have to be the head coach. Just gonna be like a defensive coordinator that knows how to stop a slant. Or a defensive back coach that can get these guys to turn around when the ball's coming when oh you see other teams intercepting the passes on the same plays. Just pains my soul. Uh, I can't top that. I don't know if anybody in the Maryland media landscape can top that. Um, if you want to go to the Indiana game, tickets are bombed out online. You can get for about 10 bucks if you go to the right place. So if you feel like supporting this team, head out for it. But I'm on to the, it's your Saturday. Do what you want with it. I get it at this point. And hold on, them. hold on. You know, Indiana has a running quarterback, Jordan. Did Purdue have a running quarterback? No. Why did the man take the ball in a third and 20 and get a first down? Why? I bet you if you limp Tom Brady out against Maryland, the man can run the ball for 30 yards on one play. You could put in Peyton Manning, you could take him out of retirement, or Eli, and they could probably run for 30 yards against Maryland. What? Why? Why is that the case? I really want somebody that really, really understands football, because I have a really good understanding of it. That understands, like, I guess Wayne could probably do this. A defensive scheme, go back and get, like, a different view of those plays where these slow quarterbacks take the ball for, like, 30 yards against Maryland. And please explain to me why our middle linebackers at a Big Ten level cannot catch them. You have, I don't remember what game it was in the NFL yesterday. Or maybe it was a college game on Saturday night. But they were talking about how it was a screen pass. And the defensive linemen retrace their steps and make a tackle on a screen, like 20 yards down the field to save a touchdown. I don't think I've ever seen a Maryland defensive lineman retrace their steps and catch a quarterback that's running the ball. I'm just saying, I'm just putting that out there. Because those plays just make me, like, my head want to blow off. I think your head already did blow off there. Hey, I know you like to call me Mason A, and I've gone full Mason A mode in this. Yeah, you definitely have today. Alright, well, you got anything else to say? Because I think we got our uh, Indiana preview later in the week, which I'm sure... I, I have no faith in this pro- team right now. I really don't. But maybe that'll change in a couple of days once it cooled off. Yeah, hopefully tomorrow we'll know more about the status of our quarterback, Josh Jackson, because that is our quarterback. I think that's clear now. If the team's like that scheme around somebody else, I would say so. Hopefully he'll be back against Indiana. And honestly, looking at it, there is a chance that Maryland wins the game depending on who plays and who doesn't. Uh, if your top two corners are out, there's there's little to no chance you win this game because I don't believe in the scheming of what John Hoke is doing after what I saw after Tino Ellis went down that last game. It seems like... It does every year. Maryland's got a good 22 guys, maybe 23 if you count Ellis McKinney. And past that, there there's not much because even at a position that you thought you were loaded at, DJ Turner and Jay Sean Jones have gone down to wide receiver, and now Sean Savoy can't catch, and you, you're playing injured Daryl Jones, who whether they say is 100% or not, he's obviously not at 100%. And you're looking at even your best positions, running back and receiver, or maybe not your best, but your most like talent depth-wise positions. And you're almost you're running out of guys everywhere. 
it's just a shame because at the beginning of the year, you know, I know that everyone will say, oh, only like three guys got hurt from week one to that game they lost to Temple. But we got a really thin team this year, and it's really starting to show seven weeks in now. Because guys go down, they get banged up, and you have to play the backups, and our backups are not at a Big Ten level. The guys that Some of the guys that we saw in that field playing real snaps against Purdue, if those two corners, Levante Gator and um, even if it was, honestly, even if it was Kenny Bennett that's playing that number one corner spot, then Dante Banks, then Levante Gator, I think, honestly, I think Rutgers would have ended up beating us. Because those guys, they're freshmen, and I'll give them their time because those are the kind of guys that you want to develop in an actual program. Like, they're not five-star guys like Nick Cross that can go out there and make plays. But, boy, that's secondary with Jordan Mosley and um, Deion Jones, Levante Gator, and Dante Banks. Boy, is that bad. And those injuries, unfortunately, in the worst places have happened for us this year. And we are now deep in the hole and looking to battle out of it. But at least we got three wins. We're going to have a chance at a fourth a fifth, and a sixth, in my opinion, because Nebraska, Indiana, you're going to have to find another win in there because Michigan State and Nebraska aren't looking too good, and this Indiana game is a must-win if you want anything to come out of this season. That's all i got to say. But it's another week, it's another game, and hopefully we can go out there and win it, and we'll be back to talk more about the Indiana game. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors on the Young Terps podcast, Viner Four Gates of Rockville, for all of your business IT needs. Viner Four Gates is the place to call you can reach them at 301-251-2900 or on the web at the number one viner.com. And Ally Party Rentals for all of your party rental needs, big or small, anything from a huge corporate event to a small luncheon. Ally is your place to go. You can visit them at alliedpartyrentals.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at YoungTerp1, and we'll be back later this week to talk Terps, Indiana. Hopefully put one in the win column, get to 4-3 and three on the season try and get things going into that Minnesota game, but after everything that was said in this podcast, I really don't know how things are going to turn out. Hopefully Josh Jackson is back. We'll have all of that in injury news here on Thursday. And as always, thanks for listening.